Hello and welcome to episode 218 of Three Bears a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with... Stu McFall! You're joining us at very short notice, so I do thank you for that tonight. Um, Barry and Colin are both, I'm going to say, this is what's not, an exposed or... Uh, Indis- indisposed? Indisposed, yes. Indisposed, yeah. They're unavailable um, for reasons that... Well, there's reasons. Um, you're joining us from the Manx Isle again. It's Quarantine Isle. The Quarantine Isle of Quarantine Isle. So you're sort of like this craggy island of the Quarantine Isle almost. Yeah, that, that's right, man. We are we are the Craggy Island. We were the Craggy Island anyway, but now it's it's amped up a notch. Yeah, Quarantine Isle. Uh, there's, the cases are flying in, but nobody gives a fuck anymore. <laughs> yeah, much much the same as it is north of the border when everything's yeah. happening, but no one really cares. As long as you can go yeah. to the football and go to gigs, no one really seems to give a shit. It's like, exactly. Know, yeah. Speaking <laughs> um, of that, are you drinking anything tonight? I am. I, disgracefully, actually. But I thought I'd bring my my um, sophistication to the table. I've got some wine. Some Ooh, red fancy. Wine. This, is, this is something that's happened to you in your mid-30s. You're now becoming a wine this drinker. Yeah, it's definitely a crisis of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of that or hard, you know, hard drugs. Yeah, so you went for wine, which I suppose is best. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's easier. Um, I went, I'm sticking to the, the remit of the beer, so I went for one that's called uh, Snappy APA from... Bad News Beer Company, who are based in, I think it's Zurich, or Prague, possibly. Zagreb. Split the difference. Zagreb in Croatia. Um, the Croatians know how to do beer. They're much like the Czechs, they seem to know what they're doing with it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they like the ales, don't they? You yeah. need to have to live in, in the Balkans. You, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you need to be able to make alcohol. I don't even know if you need to make good alcohol, because I think any alcohol in the Balkans would probably just null the pain of living in the Balkans for a lot of the time. Yeah. That's it. Even if you're huffing Terps, it's still got to be, it's necessary. Yes, exactly. So, um, but no, it's, it's, American, it's an American pale ale, so it's done in the American style. It's very fruity, very tasty. It's nice. It's, it's very nice. I got one of my wanky beer boxes, so I'll probably never have it again because I'll never be able to find it, which no. is obviously part of the problem with these boxes. But it's a funky looking can and it tastes nice. So yeah. Um, as we'll do, obviously, you're doing this at short notice, so you haven't really seen much of what we're going to mainly talk about. So, if you anything you might bring to the floor of interest you've watched that you think is worth mentioning, you know, anything that you, well, you feel, yeah, is, I mean, but we, we don't have um cinemas over here, as you know, or um, and we've we're, we're looking forward to getting the internet, um, <laughs> man, soon. But um, I have managed to snaffle a couple of things. I watched the the Velvet Underground documentary on Apple Plus, Todd Haynes's um documentary which is which is really cool and typical Todd Haynes it's 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 pretty unconventional the way it's done yeah. um and, uh, yeah it's, it's it probably is one for fans uh, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't if you're not a fan of Velvet Underground it's it's probably not gonna intrigue you that much what is interesting is that um they were one of those such an influential band but they there's so there's such minimal footage of them so it's like yeah, using yeah, a yeah. lot of stills so that, that was the one disappointment, really. There was very minimal live footage of them, but that was good. Um, what else? Started Reservation Dogs. Which like, is... Interesting. Todd, he's not really known as a documentarian, is he, so much? He's not really known as that, is he? So is, is this really more of a, from far as you know, is it more of like sort of a, a passion project? Like, he, is he a, like a big fan of the band or? I'd imagine so, because he, he does seem to... Um, he likes iconoclastic bands because he did I'm Not There, the Dylan one. Um, and Velvet Goldmine he did as well. Yeah, so that Bowie one. So, yeah, yeah he's he's got previous in that. Um, and it's got that kind of... It doesn't feel like your standard music doc. It's got... Yeah. It, it has got his style, his his ball prints on it, that kind of auteur kind of thing going on um, with it. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't really know. Um, that much about Todd Haynes, really. I've seen most of his film, but yeah, because he's I mean, like, recently he's done like Far From Heaven, um, and mm. Dark Waters, he's sort of, and Carol with his sort of last film. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's done Carol, so he's he sort of. I'm just wondering if it does feel like an odd thing for me to do, but you know, it's a bit like you know, like you said, um, he likes these kind of characters, maybe that's why he's went for it. Um, I know almost nothing about Velvet Underground to be honest, and I'm ashamed to say it. Did it what was the what was Velvet Underground's like major hit? Did they have like is, is it a major? They hit? really, they didn't really have one. There's the kind of you probably know them with their affiliation with Andy Warhol, um, yeah. and Lou Reed was in them. So uh, they they didn't really have a hit. I guess 
they were one of those bands. I think they did they did nothing really when they were together. But it was one of the, there's that classic. It's probably been attributed to so many different bands, but not many people bought their album. But everyone who did formed a band. They were one of those so yeah, like really the, influential. So like the New York Dolls of that kind of genre. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and yeah, they were very arty, very druggy, very psychedelic. Um, uh, and you know, kind of an acquired taste, really. But uh, yeah, they didn't really have a hit. I think maybe "Waiting for the Man" or "Heroin" probably their mm. biggest songs. You'd probably rec- I reckon you'd you'd recognise. I probably, I probably would recognise. I heard them, but like yeah. obviously, my musical knowledge doesn't go quite as deep as yourself. Um, do you expect if I was to watch this, would my interest in them be turned around, or would it probably that would be enough for me? Uh, I think it's one for fans. Right, I okay. think it's one for fans. Yeah, I think you'd appreciate it. I think you'd appreciate it because it's a decent story. Yeah, uh, not actually, you, you know, knowing nothing about them is probably better than knowing something. Uh-huh. I think you'd probably find a bit more. You'd probably get a bit more out of it. Um, See, I, I, I watched the, I watched this Easy Top one recently, and I know very little about Easy Top, but I really yeah. enjoyed that documentary, knowing very little about them. Same with the one about um, Tragically Hip, the Canadian band who are like massive in Canada. I don't know if you know who they are. They're like this Canadian band who are basically the proclaimers of Canada, but. I know, I know of them, but only for you, I think. Yeah. I've like actually heard a song. Like, literally the whole country shut down to watch their final gig because the guy was dying of brain cancer. So, but watching that, like, knowing nothing about them, I actually really enjoyed it. But if I was to watch it, like, a band who I can, like, I wouldn't be that interested in watching, say, like, a, probably a band that I know a bit about but don't really give a shit about. Um, Radiohead. Plus, I, I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I know who Radiohead are, but I don't really know much about any of their albums. Like, I, I, that, that kind of whole thing missed me. So, bluff. There's yeah. one blood. I would have no interest in watching a blood documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think anything in that documentary would make me actually be a fan of them. I know enough about them to go, that's not for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think you probably dig some of the some of the music. And, and Lou Reed's an interesting character, you know. So, um, yeah, it's. I I really enjoyed it. I geeked yeah. out on it a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's a bit of a weird one. I don't know because it's it's certainly not your archetypal. Music doc, like yeah. the way it's shot and everything. Um, yeah, give it a go, maybe. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm the same with this, the, like the Sparks one that's coming out. It's, I think it was out in cinema mm. very briefly, but it's coming out on like Blu-ray and DVD quite soon. And obviously, the fact it's Edgar Wright making it makes me really interested in watching it. But I don't. Everything I've heard the Sparks so far, I don't really like their music that much. You know, like, yeah. I, I don't really think I'm going to get much out of it. But no. I, end up, yeah. I might end up liking them as people more than I do. Yeah, the music. yeah. I, I totally agree. Like, um. And I'm really intrigued by that, but I only know one Spark song, yeah. big hit they had. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. But I've tried to listen to it in advance of the doc because I'm really looking forward to the doc for the same yeah. reasons you've outlined. But I can't get into it at all. The music, yeah. I respect them and their story, uh-huh. but uh, but then that's sign of a great doc if it if it can draw you in and intrigue you, even if you don't have you're not a fan, you don't have any context. Like the um, King Rocker I watched was fantastic. Yeah, I, I enjoyed. That was one of my favorite films I yeah. shared. Thought it was excellent. Yeah, no idea who they were. Didn't know anything about them going to it. Yeah. I'm more intrigued, but there's a Dinosaur Junior one coming out this year, so I'm more intrigued. That's sort of the one that I think I'm more intrigued about this year, but it's not out for, I think, a couple of months. Maybe about early next year. Um, I'm looking forward more to that one, the Dinosaur Junior one. So that'll be, I yeah. think, more up my up my alley. Um, so that's a good, that's an interesting one. Um, I'll maybe give it a watch this week, because I've got a lot of time off this week, so that could be something I do watch. Um, anything else of interest that's intrigued you over the last sort of few months? Um, I'm... I'm Balls deep in, uh, it's not new, but in Italian mafia drama Gamora, um, which is it is genuinely fantastic, but it's it doesn't glamorize that world at all. Yeah. And because yeah. of that, it's so relentlessly bleak. Like I, yeah. I had to come yeah. out of it for a while. I'm back in now, but it is it's got that kind of Breaking Bad quality where the writing is they tie themselves into like little cul-de-sacs and they write themselves. Um, there's real creativity and surprise in, mm. um, in, and re- a, a, a show of really exciting moments when it does happen yeah. um, so I, I recommend Gamora it's a very good watch and the acting is genuinely superb yeah I mean I'm, I'm more intrigued by that one because like it, it doesn't like I said my biggest you know, I've talked about before my issue where a lot of gangster stuff is that it glamorises the gangster lifestyle which I think is not particularly great and obviously it sort of makes them out to be like working class heroes and it's like Al Capone wasn't a hero. He was, you know, yeah. a scumbag. Um, and I think that's why I'm, I'm always reluctant to watch The Sopranos because I've watched The Sopranos movie recently or the prequel. 
and I felt that it was a sort of idea like this this is a glamorous life to take on. This is something you should try and take on because it's a way to sort of look after your family going, I feel there's better ways than being than sort of ultimately, <laughs> the, only, ultimately the only way you succeed is by harming others. Yeah. You know, which yeah. strikes me as not nice. So yeah, um Gamora, interesting. Not anything else of, of note that is um sprung up on you? Uh, just very happy that's all Seinfeld's on Netflix. So <laughs> that. Very happy about that. Were you unhappy that they've done the pan and scan on it though? So there's like shit missing from it. Yeah, I'm not happy about that. Yeah, yeah. that is annoying. It's yeah. a very geeky thing, you know, because they've done it with the Simpsons as well. Um, yeah, they did. Kind of revert, they did. Yeah, really bad. Like, oh, that's annoying. But it's something you only notice because you've watched it like a thousand times before. Um, but anyway, really, yeah. for the first time, wouldn't actually get it. Let's come on. Like I said, I've not watched anything really of note on the cinema, um, like non cinema that's sort of TV wise, um, to be honest. I've been sort of saving myself watching a lot of TV. I'm kind of building a lot of stuff up. Um, I'm still doing my usual deep dive, like kind of semi deep dives into sort of old cinema um, to try and like sort of fill in some holes where I've, I've got, um, you know, and, and knowledge in it um, recently. So I started watching stuff like The Outlaw and um, Yellow Canary, which are like sort of two films from the 1940s. Um, like film How about that? Yeah, The Outlaw you should watch. The Outlaw, it was a film that um, Howard, Howard Hawks made, I think it was, if I remember rightly, that he basically had to prove that Jane Russell's tips were not breaking any sort of laws when they're on screen. Um, and he had to basically, he went to the, 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 the like, not the BBFC, but like sort of the, the board in America to try and prove that everything on show was legally allowed to be on show. Um, and it's sort of one of these sort of really test mark cases of, um, you know, what's acceptable to be seen on, on cinema screens. I, I, I found out, I was reading a book recently and it, it popped up in it as one of these sort of really interesting stories that it all came down to how much cleavage of Jane Russell you could show. It's also a very good film as well, but Jane Russell's cleavage is quite insane in it, to be honest. I do understand why there was questions, especially for, <laughs> 19, especially for 1943, it pretty much would have broken then, I think. Um, oh, it was yeah. a really good, really good Western. Um, and also Yellow Canaries is sort of like, it's a, like a film noir all about a, a spy on a cruise ship, um, like a Nazi sympathiser, uh, and they're trying to route this spy ring. And again, it's, it's, like it's made, oh, it made in the 40s, so there is limitations in what they can do, but it's, again, it just shows you, like, good story works, you know, regardless of, you don't need to have, like, flashbangs and, like, explosions. You yeah. can make a good story out of totally. good actors reading good lines can make a very interesting story. Um, so, yeah, and it's a weird, weird the thing about it is all this stuff's available on BBC iPlayer, because it's, like, it's a real, sort of real treasure trove of of old movies, you don't have to go looking for them, and they're all in the public demand, uh, public domain as well. So you can, they're all available there, which is really cool. That's cool. Yeah, because we've said before, it's hard to something very hard to find old stuff, and it's, it's very frustrating that, that a lot of old stuff isn't available. You know, because there is a you like to enjoy the history or something. Cinema didn't start in 1994, as you know, despite what Netflix would try and make us um, believe. Yeah, yeah. Netflix are the new e um, EPL, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, like because like everyone, everyone knows, you know, football didn't really start until the English Premier League became the Premier League. That's when football began, and everyone knows no. that. Nineteen uh, Netflix knows. knows that nothing really happened before nineteen ninety four. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very frustrating because especially when you start reading the sort of old cinema books and you start hearing about all these different films that were so influential, and then you try and find them and you you just simply can't get them. You know, you, you want yeah, to sort of expand your knowledge, and especially when talk about people like, you know, Howard Hughes and stuff like guys who are like seminal to. The, yeah. the the beginning of cinema um, and like Mary Pickford and stuff like that. You want to find out because obviously films are really important to people and really important in establishing the industry. I mean, you can't find them going. I know some of them might not hold up as well now as they sort of you know compared to what they what they were at the time, but you still would like to see them. Oh yeah, there, there are the you know to understand cinema, you need that full holistic thing to appreciate the yeah. the classics, don't you? And like you say, good storytelling. It, it, it endures like there's no reason why it's it's a weird thing i, I wonder if it's because of technological advances but books don't seem to have the same issue with dating do you know what i no. mean because like the you know watering heights is a couple hundred years old so and it's and yourself yeah it's almost like seeing like i, but I think it's weird thing. i find it very difficult to watch films from the 90s because they look very dated not like in the 90s sorry like early 2000s they look yeah. dated and I recognise and go, that feels old. But anything from the 1980s, 70s, 60s, I'm like, I'm fine with it. It's, it's, a world, it's a time before I remember, essentially. So I'm yeah. okay with it. Yeah. It's funny you know, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I guess a lot of modern... As soon as, you, like, as soon as you're watching a film from the 90s and someone pulls out like a mobile phone, you're like, oh, that looks really old. You know, like, it sort of it really dates the movie. Whereas yeah. something in the 70s, 
will always look dated to us because it's like it was made in the 70s. We didn't see it till the 90s, so it's fine. And there's, there's that there's that kind of sepia tone lens in the 70s that you know it films just look grittier and grainier. There's, yeah. there's something that something that certain filmmakers try and achieve now. There's like an almost it's almost like a hipster look, isn't it? That, well, essentially, that's, that's what the Joker. That's essentially like, that's what Joker was. That's what he was going oh, for. Yeah. It was just sort of it was just yeah. trying to rip off the Scorsese, you know, mm-hmm. Death Wish, you know, gritty seventies look about it. I'd like to see Absolutely. a like actually really impressed like see something like La La Land that sort of captured that Technicolor look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that because that's a really that's a seems like a very much a dead style of filming now. But when you watch films from the like the sort of musicals from the fifties, like and things like that. It is so bright and it's so colourful and it's so big. So vivid, yeah, yeah. just so immersive and just magical, isn't it? You know, yeah. that, that there's something very um, sincere and, and very uh, earnest about that. Yeah. And I guess we're just so cynical now that it's, it, that's why La La Land was so refreshing, even as a man who's not a particularly big musical fan. I love La La Land. Um, but yeah, that, that, that shine is such a is a beautiful yeah. thing, isn't it? Which is quite I, I totally get like I think Wizard of Oz is crap. Like I'm not a huge fan of Wizard of Oz, but I get yeah. why it was huge because like if you're living in a world where it's just it's all been black and white bleakness and it's very and that's a lot of films were, oh. and all of a sudden you yes. get this technical world of like this fantasy, you're like, holy shit, it would that would literally blow your mind out if you're watching a cinema oh. like a thousand people. It'd be, it'd be incredible. Totally. I, I would love to I would love to like wipe my brain men in black style and see something like that for the first time. Do you know, it would just, I don't know if we've had, if we had anything like that where, because we've, we, we're not quite the generation now where everything is there and everything is media and they have complete choice and complete autonomy. And there are so many different streaming services and platforms, but we, we kind of grew up as these things all developed, didn't uh-huh. we? But we, have we ever, have we had anything that is like, holy shit, that's mind blowing. Have we had that? Well, I'd say Jurassic Park for me was mind blowing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I watched that and I still can't see the that to me still looks like a dinosaur and I can't see anything beyond that. The Matrix was mind blowing. Yes, the Matrix was mind blowing. Like yeah. there's a you can there's a definitive shift in what, how you saw a movie after the Matrix. I and mean, even something for me, mm-hmm. Mad Max Fury Road was something incredible as well that you've not seen before. Yeah. But yeah. I, I guess yeah. it's, it's it's still an action movie in the sense of an action movie. It's not like going from you know, it's not quite the seismic shift is what you expect. But Jurassic Park one for me, I think, because I was like sort of that is that's taking like sort of basically, you know, the Harry Housen puppets and maquettes, and which are always amazing, and like Ray Winston stuff, mm-hmm. and turn it into something like, holy shit, that's an actual dinosaur. You can tell it's not a puppet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the best example, I think, dude. When I think about and the timelessness of that, when I think you know when when Hunter introduced the Jurassic Park, and he's like the most cynical generation ever, and he it is his favorite film. It will be, I think. It hit yeah. him at the same stage it hit you. I think it will be his favorite film forever. Yeah. He's he's he just can't get over it. He still talk, he he wants to watch it all the time, and it's just it's that formative. That's that holy shit moment for him. And bear in mind, he's he won't watch Transformers or any of the old stuff. I try and get him to watch because yeah. he just says the effects are terrible. You know. Yeah, because like Transformers has got more sort of like holy shit moments in it, like than Jurassic Park might have, because obviously it was made. You know, it was made twenty years later, and it probably probably more budget and things like that. But. Jurassic Park still has the better holy shit moments, you know, and it's yeah. and seeing that on the big screen when I was like eight years old, I was like, holy fuck, I cannot genuinely believe there's a dinosaur on screen. That is like, <laughs> like, like that is quite amazing. And the point was, like, even now, when a Jurassic Park thing comes out, you still feel the compelled to like sort of give this um, franchise any sort of time because it's given you, oh, so, yeah. you know, like, even like I watched a cartoon that's on Netflix, you know, I'll play the games, I'll, I'll you know, I'll. Watch all these like Jurassic Worlds, even if I even if I question some of them, you know some of the in fact the the one that me and you went and saw was essentially just a um, a rehash was, of the first one. It was, it was nothing, yeah, but it was fun. But, it, but it was I would fun. say that Jurassic Park's the one that probably for me is like sort of my seismic change, and I imagine a lot of people would be similar. But then I had a really lovely story of a guy who who went back to cinema the first time um, after lockdown. It was a story on Twitter. I think it was one of the people from Empire tweeted it, and it was a guy who was like ninety five years old. And the first film he saw in the cinema was like King Kong, like the 1930s King Kong. So he saw that in the cinema, and the first film he's going back to see was King Kong versus Godzilla. And like <laughs> the idea of like that guy, like obviously to him it's still just spectacle. Like he just wants to see something, he wants to see like the spectacle of what that was. It's obviously it's wow. changed, it's, it's different, but it's still just a spectacle for what he wants to see. And I thought it was really a really sweet story. That was like even at 95, he goes, I want to see a big fucking monkey hit a dinosaur. I want to see that, you know? Yeah. The- 
there's um there's really something to be said for that isn't there but the, the very medium itself um exists to entertain and i think it, that can be for, for all the the brilliant artistry that, that the medium creates i think it can be easy to forget that sometimes you just want to see damn box office entertainment really yeah like it's like it's the same when you watch football games sometimes you can enjoy the majestic of Man City playing Paris Saint-Germain because there's 4,000 passes and it's all beautifully done. There's something that's fun to watch Walsall versus Notts County when 22 guys kick the show each other and the score's 5-4 at the end. But there's a certain yeah. joy in watching that game as much as there is watching, you know, the most perfect, yeah. you know, example of the sport, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so I can't remember how you are doing that, but we'll move on to the films that are out there. <laughs> You've missed these meanderings with me, haven't well, you? Like Mackay's meanderings are of equal um, madness, to be honest. Um, <laughs> first, one I'll talk about is one that's on Netflix. It's called "There's Someone Inside Your House," um, which was directed by Patrick Bryce, who directed the film "Corporate Animals" and the film "The Overnight." I don't know if you've seen any of them too. The Overnight's actually quite a funny. It's mm-hmm. a, a film like it's. Um, I think it's Adam Thingy from Thingy from Parts and Rec. The, the main love interest in Parts and Rec. His name I always forget. Adam Scott. Adam Scott, him and his wife meet a couple at a, a party and then they end up like sort of thinking it's they really it's basically they're swingers and they're trying to like get out of it, but also slightly intrigued by it. Um, and, and it's set like okay. LA. So it's, it's, it's kind of one of those like sort of overtly going, you want to laugh at it, but you're also like, oh, that's the old shit, the way you look at that. It's, 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 it's actually really well done. Um, this film, different from that, it's, it's a horror film. Um, obviously, I name it There's Something Inside Your House. It's your traditional teen horror film where there's a killer on the loose. But before they before they kill you, essentially, sort of like they get inside your head of, of like knowing your deepest darkest secrets. So if you're if you're a pill popper, you know that will that get revealed to the whole world before the you know before they kill you. Or if you're like sort of some women who sort of um, very religious and showing themselves as being sort of holier than holy, but they find a recording of her talking about how you know certain people are not really human and stuff like that. So it's very, you know, very non-Christian idea. So it sort of exposes you at the last moments, uh, and the world sort of looks upon you differently. Um, so maybe something in the title, you know, it's not just inside your house, you know, it's actually inside your mind, you know, there's, con- there's you know, subtext to that title. Um, it's weird, like, there's actually no one of real note in the film. Um, you've got Sydney Park plays the main protagonist, she's in Pretty Little Liars. Um, then you've got, like, Theodore Pellin, Ashaya Cooper, Dale Whitley, and Jesse Latourette, which is a wonderful name, but it's, like, don't, you don't recognise, they all they all look like archetypes, but you don't know, I don't recognise them from anything um, any any sort of movie at all. It's a decent, formulaic, enjoyable slasher film, but like every slasher film that tries to be cleverer than just a slasher film and tries to be sort of kind of postmodern, it just becomes like you want to be Scream, but you're not as clever as Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. It's, it's that kind of thing, which is it's not a bad thing. Like if you if you want to shoot for the best, shoot for Wes Craven's Scream because it's probably still yeah. the best example of turning a slasher film on its head. But if you don't match it, then you become you do look like a little bit of a cheap ripoff of it a little bit. Yeah. Um, In the same way that happened with Tarantino, Pulp Fiction, and you know it, mm. those films that have such a seismic influence just get aped and mimicked, and then they end up really neutered down, watered, uh, anodyne versions of the original. Yeah, you realise there's a talent behind the guy who does it the best because he knows what he's doing, and everyone else can try and do it. And sometimes they can hit it pretty close, but. You know, like, like I know we did last summer came pretty close to the screen mm-hmm. idea. I thought I quite liked that, but yeah. it, it, there's also horror seems to have recently moved in a different direction. Horrors went sort of, and I think this is I think this is sort of the response to a little bit where horrors went to this idea of like horror that's not really horror. You know, things like the lighthouse, thing, things like you know Midsummer and um, yeah. the witch, where it's like, but I love them, but they're sort of like we, we're horrors, but we don't we don't want really to say we're horrors. We're more like we're more or something more than that. It's it's tension rather than outright shock. Yes. Or or, or, or tension rather than terror, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. And this is sort of almost a response to of like that and that like the Fear Street ones that are on Netflix as well. So a response to that of like let's just go back to what we used to love, which is like the old seventies style, eighties style slasher films, especially like Halloween and stuff like that coming back in some way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cast are all really good. None of them seem out of place. They all fill the archetype very well. They're all very enjoyable but also instantly forgettable and like no one who dies you have really any interest in you know and that's always the big thing about Scream was it killed you know Drew Barrymore in the first five minutes so that's become the, the calling card of that that's such a genius move and why it was so clever yeah. no one in that, there's no one really has any interest in you know who dies 
what I would say it's about 90 minutes long, moves at a decent pace. There's enough layers in it. You, you're kind of constantly guessing of who it is. You can you think you pinpoint who it is, and you then you go, oh, maybe it's not them. Ultimately, who it is is pretty fucking obvious. It's not exactly, it's not rocket science to figure out who the killer is. You can pretty much see it coming from a fair distance away from most of the film, but it's fun to see how everyone else gets there. Um, and good, decent gore in it, which was nice, because a lot of horror films kind of shy away from the gore now. They don't really push it as much. It's like they try and aim at that PG-12 rating. You know, yeah, they don't want to go full gore. But this has got your slashed Achilles and your spikes through faces and all that kind of shit. So it's, it's it, for, a, for a gore fan, there's a fair amount there. Um, but not a lot of uniqueness to it. There's nothing really particularly new about it. It's just sort of, it just sort of is. You know, it's like it's one of those kind of Friday night. Happy to watch it. Instantly forgettable. Probably won't watch it again. But no one embarrasses himself in it. It's, and this guy is the, the director, Patrick Bryce, has shown himself to be. He's jumping around kind of genres a little bit. You know, he's going from the sort of like, you know, the something like the overnight and corporate animals. Is, animals are a bit closer to this. But he's not shown to be pigeonholed into just the horror genre. So. A very solid six out of ten, which for horror is pretty decent. Uh, that sounds like if you take away the specifics about the film, you could just be reviewing Netflix own content. Yes, very much so. Yeah, it's, it's very much dispo- very few things on Netflix are genuinely sort of something you want to actually keep and buy the DVD of it. Yeah. You know, you, you want to have you know, essentially you, you want to buy Mank if you can, and you want to maybe buy Roma. That's about it, to be honest. Um, anything by from your things box set that'd be nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the weird thing this this film is promoted as coming from the minds of the producers of The Conjuring and Stranger Things. You go, oh, that's really interesting. Realizing Ooh. that no one, none of the people who are involved in it are the ones you recognize. So it's not Duffer Brothers. <laughs> it's not James Wan. It's like you know, oh. the fourth right. producer on the bill. You go, well, I'm I'm going to say that he's not the driving force behind why I like The Conjuring or like exactly. Stranger Things. Yeah. But it's just, you know, pure marketing is really all it is about. But it's, like I said, it's a solid enough 6 out of 10 movie. But your, your time's a lot more precious than mine when it comes to movie watching. So I would say probably it's not one you're going to rush to watch. I, 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 I'm, I think there are absolute classic slasher films I haven't seen. So I yeah. think this will be at the back of the queue. It's it's funny. It's almost like that some of these films that get created seem to me to be um, a contractual obligation or just... a the need to refresh the content. Dude, just, it, I mean, absolutely, 100%. I mean, I mean, every film in the cinema is content filler. That's all it is. You know, mm-hmm. even, the, even the greatest art house film in the cinema, you know, even, you know, the new Martin Scorsese film is essentially content. That's all it is. It's there to fill a cinema and put bombs on seats and make money for studios. I suppose so, mate. Yeah, I suppose yeah. so. Yeah. Like, everything is content, but there is some that seems to have a higher bar than other content. I, I don't just, there is a, there is a different, there is different levels, absolutely, you know, but it is, Unfortunately, yeah. essentially, all just content. It's such a it, oh god! It's, it's, it's a wanky word. It, it boils down to the very the sort of the, the businessness of all. Oh yeah, yeah. That content to me it just seems it screams like something uh, an exec would would say after huffing a load of coke in yeah. the eighties. You know, just we need some more content. You know, uh, oh. it's it's so. Um, for, for anyone who loves the form, it just feels like it's just completely debasing it, doesn't it? It does. It, it absolutely does. But then when you think about it, everything like music is just content. You know, when a band gets signed up yeah. to nine albums, it's not for it's not because it's like you know the artistically, you know, the, the studio loves it or the, or the record company goes like you're artistically amazing. We want to support that. It's like we want yeah. nine albums from you because it'll make us a shit ton of money, and that's kind yeah. of what it is. You yeah. hope it can rise above that, but it kind of that's what it is, and you can hold other you can hold elements of it. To a higher standard, but it is still just content. And you think about even back in the back, if you look at reading like sort of the history books of, of cinema recently, stuff that happened in the nineteen when the cinema first broke through, it was even more of a mill. You know, it was like films like some people doing like a hundred films a year, just just yeah. churning stuff yeah. out because people were watching like there was like five films on the cinema for a week, and then an R five turn the next because it's just so difficult to yeah, fill yeah. every cinema every night. It was just like turning these things. It was just like it's actually less content now than it ever was type thing away in a weird way there's more but less in fact it sounds odd to say that yeah yeah no no that sounds right man it's interesting yeah. isn't it yeah it's, it's really it's a really bizarre it's a really sad way to look at it that it is all just content but unfortunately that is kind of what it all is essentially <laughs> and this of course this fine podcast is more content 
Exactly. This every I mean every podcast just content. It's something just to fill anything just to fill time. That's all it really is. You're a content machine. I'm a content machine. How many machine. of these have you done now? 118 we're on now. So I'm 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 making I'm Mary Pickford level right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's something but you're absolutely right. It does feel very much like Netflix, whereas like Amazon and Apple and even Disney. Well, Disney's actually bringing out a lot of content, and it's sort of, but it's staggering a little bit. But Amazon and Apple seem a lot more sort of, they're, you know, curating it a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. like they're not bringing stuff out every week; it's every now, every sort of yeah. second week of releasing stuff. Or, um, like the next big film I think is a new Tom Hanks one that's out in the fifth of November and things like that. So they're a bit more specialized; they're not bringing out nine films a week. Whereas, like, there's stuff that's on Netflix. Netflix just yeah. appears, and you go, "Holy shit!" You know, like, there's like nine films that that's not existed until they come on. Yeah, on the channel, it's so, oversaturation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Curating is such a good word. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. That's a much better approach, isn't it? Yeah, we're so jaded by content. Exactly, because like you can like Netflix. You can. Like, I don't scroll Apple as much as I scroll Netflix. Because Netflix gets so much on it. Apple, I'm, I usually go on to watch a specific thing that I know is out. Yeah, same. Yeah, same. whereas Netflix, you, you'll sit there for an hour just looking oh. for something because there's so much content. Um, and then I'll just put Seinfeld on. And then you just, yeah, are you end up watching <laughs> Simpsons. Um, yeah, yeah, so something is in your house, six out of ten. Um, on from that, another Netflix release, which is, again, getting on from the idea of content. This is sort of, this is, again, content, but um, but it's like, it's more prestige, and it seems like it's more prestige. Because it's, it's a film called No Sudden Move, directed by Steven Soderbergh, who obviously did, like, you know, Traffic and Contagion and Magic Mike and Ocean's Eleven. And fucking Steven Soderbergh, he's done, he's done lots of stuff. Um, the plot of this one, it's a... It's a it's a really, it's a, I might say film noir, but it's a sort of crime story of a detective trying to find out information and trying to find out the roots behind something happening. It's really, I'm, I'm not wanting to, the more I say about it, the sort of the more it um, would give something away because there's a lot of okay. twists and turns and um, sort of like, you know, backstabbing and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's to, 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 to say more would, would ruin it. So the, okay. the way IMDb describes it is a group of criminals are brought together under mysterious circumstances and have to work together to uncover what's really going on and when, a, when one of their simple job goes completely sideways. So that's sort of the, the premise. So it's kind of usual suspects, so you can idea when they try to figure out what's happened. It's, it's a, a period piece as well. It's set, I think, in the 70s, possibly. I'm not 100%. I can't really remember. It looks okay. like the 70s. Um, amazing. It's got Benicio, Bel, Benicio Del Toro in it. Being nice. Oddly understandable in this one, which is quite unique for that, Benicio. What? That's never happened. That's yeah. <laughs> Don't get me, he, he slips at times, but for the most <laughs> part, he is coherent. Um, Don Cheadle, Noah Dupe, um, David Harbour, John Hamm, Brendan Fraser pops up in as well, Kieran Culkin, Ooh. Julia Fox. So it's got a prestige. Oh, cast. there's a cast there, isn't there? Bloody hell, yeah. that's a hell of a cast. And which really, necessarily what you're talking about with Netflix, this is fucking appeared. Like, it. There was no fanfare behind this at all. And it's like, it's a new season Soderbergh film. You would think there would be some sort of fanfare behind this. Yeah. And that's crazy. And it's not getting bad. It's getting, I, I would say not mixed. It's getting average to good reviews. So it's not like it's like one of the ones we go, just bury it. It's, it's fine, you know. So it's a very twisty thriller, you know. It, it, it does kind of drag and probably overstays its welcome. It runes in at about... Checking the time, 100, uh, an hour and 55, so just shy of two hours. They yeah. probably could have lost a good 15 minutes off that to really sort of tighten mm-hmm. up a little bit just to bring it kind of, you know, bring it close together. And there's probably about 25% too much plot and characters in it. You know, you could probably have lost some, like you could probably have lost a few of the roles and just go, right, we're going to leave that story out, or we don't need to throw a third wheel into this story. Does that okay. make sense? You know, you know, the, yeah. the you know, you could the Brendan Fraser character doesn't really do much. They see Brendan Fraser back on screen, the man's not on screen enough. But yes. he, he really didn't do much. Same with the Kieran Culkin role. Kieran Culkin's in it, and he's like, you go, is he coming back? Like, no, he doesn't come back. Like, what, what, what's the point? Why have him in it for like and then it's like a schedule and you're like, like, I want to do this, I want to get on a cinema, I want to work with Steven Soderbergh, and I can't I've only got I'm off succession for like two weeks and I have to do this in that time. And yeah. that could be it. But it just feels yeah, like, like there's a lot of good people in it for very short amounts of time. And weirdly, one of the main guys in it who's sort of one of the biggest selling points of the film is not in that list of people I gave you. It's, a, it's like a, a extended cameo. And I'm going like, holy shit, like he's got more screen time than Kieran Culkin. And it's, a, it's essentially a cameo that he's in, you know? So um, I'll tell you off, I'll tell you off Mike who it was. Um, okay, interesting. Um, 
it was really odd. But obviously, with a cast like that, all very good performances. Um, Don Cheadle doesn't get enough lead roles, I would say. Like, you know, that's a really annoying thing. Don Cheadle, he seems to always be this, this sort of third yeah. name on a bill. And he's very good. Like yeah. Hotel Rolanda is fantastic. You know, he, he's he's got chops all gone. Yeah, chops. you know, if you can put Don Cheadle in a film, put him in your film. But it's like, this doesn't, he's not in enough. You know, like, I know he's doing well with Marvel. He's obviously making cash off that. So it's like, well done to Don. But I might see more. He, he seems like he should be like, I, want to say, I don't want to say because the successor to Denzel, because I was roughly the same age, but it feels like he should be on that level. He has got those chops as well. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And he's really versatile as well. Uh-huh. Um, he, he can do everything, Don. Yeah. I'm, uh... It's just sort of weird that he's never had anything like sort of major. So, yeah, so that, that was when it kind of threw me. Um, it's funny that, isn't it? How... Yeah. Like why some people don't get that next step. Mm. Yeah. You know, there's a few actors like that who go, like, you should be bigger, but you just seem to not be. I can actually honestly see David Harbour becoming that a little bit. David Harbour seems like a guy who should be a bigger, but he's, I think he's quite content with what he's done because he's, he's had success late in life, so he's not quite as yeah not chasing it, but you feel like he could have made a bigger step. Um, anyway, it's it's good. Um, there is, I think this is something Soderbergh's been guilty of in the past for some reason. Not always films, but there have been a few in the past we've been guilty of it where the female roles are pretty much non-existent. You know, and they sort of they don't have, and anyone who comes in doesn't have anything to do. They are purely there as essentially set dressing. Um, he has done films that are very female orientated. The most recent one, the one with the girl, the lady, or the actress from um, The Crown, whose name I'm forgetting, um, that she's stuck mm-hmm. in a mental home. Unsane. Unsane, yeah. She's in that, that one, that's obviously very female orientated. But he has in the past been sort of, he's, very male-dominated films, I would say, is, is something yeah. he's very, he's something he's done a lot of. You know, he's done Oceans 11, 12, and 13, for God's sake, and there's barely a female <laughs> in that. Um, <laughs> for all those reasons, in many ways. But I would say in, a, in a, a world now, you've got to have some level of representation in a movie, you know, just in the climate we're in this now. You feel like you... Now, if it doesn't drive the story, I understand why it's not there. Like, there's no reason to put women in a World War II, you know, D-Day invasion film because there was no there was no women there, but this film feels like you could have easily had like let's say the like the the John Ham role could have been someone else you know it could have been yeah. a female role there's no reason why it couldn't have been type thing so that that was that was that was sort of it's weird to, I'm, I'm it's weird how that's now stand that you note that now you know like yeah. we wouldn't have that like if you watch films from the nineties yeah. well, Watch them now. You can have that when you watch them the first time. You didn't really notice there was no women in the film at all. You sort of like that's what films were. But now you can. I'm, I'm kind of bumping up against it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that that's that's definitely something. He is very, he, he is very much a, um, someone who is who focuses on the male psyche, which is fine. But there needs to be. There's a. There's, it's not realistic as well. Uh, yeah, that's have, it, yeah. You, you, do you know what I mean? It, it just. Take away the modern culture and everything else, and and the the political aspect of this. It's just not a realistic thing. There are this many men in a film that that has to be some fucking women. It doesn't make sense. Oh, like, so yeah. it's like, you know, um, I, I think um, Soderbergh. Interesting to know your thoughts. Really, I think he he's prolific now, but I think he is just he like has he's like for me like a, a faded, a once brilliant footballer who isn't ready. It has moments of brilliance. He's like Roy Kent in Ted Lasso, yeah. where he's just, he's very much just kind of going through the motions. I haven't really been knocked out by a film of his for a good decade, I don't think. Unsane was really cool, actually. Unsane was really cool. I really liked Unsane. I really enjoyed Logan Lucky. Um, Logan, to be fair, actually, Logan Lucky was was really good. I know yeah. I, I'm, that's, that's probably what. That's probably but what yes, yes. But yeah, you wonder he's so prolific, he's so up and down. Like, you know, mm. like from the time you like, so you talk about Unsane, I'm thinking, oh, please, Unsane was the last film he done. That must be a while ago. He's done three films since then. Yeah. Like, I've, I've watched them all. Like, The Laundromat, which was wasn't okay. very good. Uh, no, High Flying no. Bird and Let Them Talk, you know. So, they're um, all fine, but they're just fine, you know. It, but yeah, Unsane was good. Logan looked good. I really like Side Effect, actually, but that's probably yeah. older than I think. You know, um, well, it's, it's again bad for that. Um, and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. like I, I generally enjoyed Magic Mike, 
I thought Magic Mike was, oh, was a really Mike, Magic, yeah, Magic Mike was good because yeah. I think because I really enjoyed Magic Mike because I was in the cinema watching it. It was me and Joe watching it, and it was a very female orientated crowd watching Magic Mike, always for obvious reasons, yeah. thinking they were basically coming to see, you know, basically the male version of striptease, essentially. Yeah. Not realizing they're watching a film by Steven Soderbergh. He's not going to make a wank <laughs> film, essentially. He's going to make a film that sort of examines the human condition and, and what, these, yeah. what this is about. The Magic Mike that came after, the XXL one, that's what they thought they were getting. That's what they wanted, yeah. Yeah, yeah so totally. I think, but yeah. Magic Mike is like sort of like, so there's like, I think there's like three sort of like show scenes in that, I think, like sort of like when they do mm. stuff on stage. Oh, yeah. And it's a two-hour film, and unless it's just it's guys talking, feeling sad about themselves, and I just, just see the whole crowd just coming, going, "What the fuck is this?" We just want to see guys yeah. dancing. Um, so I actually like, quite like, enjoyed like, that subverted what it was. But I also feel like that, that film did completely missell itself to an audience to try and get a massive crowd in. Oh yeah, that that's like the biggest misselling since Truman Show built itself as a comedy. You know, yeah, Jim <laughs> yeah. Very, very odd. But it, 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 it worked because it got not only did it make a shit ton of money, it got a um, like a sequel that made shit ton of money. And I think he's obviously an executive. So that film probably set him up better than anything else he's done. Maybe Ocean's films, something done, done well. But everything else. But yeah, he, he seems to have like really dipped after doing like Out of Sight and The Liming, Erin Brockovich and Traffic, Ocean's Eleven, Full Frontal, Solaris, Ocean's Twelve. He's sort of the good German. Even I quite like the good German. Um, yeah. Ocean's 13. I wasn't a huge fan of Shea. Um, I'll be honest with you. I thought it was a bit slog. Yes. That was a slog. That slog. Both films were a slog. Like the performance was good, but it was like, why is this too film? Why is yeah. this? Why is this six hours long? This is yeah. so arduous. Oh my God. It's yeah. really yeah. tough going, man. The informant had so much potential and just didn't deliver. Yeah. Um, it, it felt almost like, the informant felt like he was trying to do a Cone Bros film at times. Like he was trying to like sort of dip into that, but never really quite got the tone of a Cone Bros movie. 100%. Um, and Contagion, I actually really enjoy Contagion. Obviously, I probably Contagion is genuinely fantastic and really yeah. eerie now. <laughs> yeah. like, creepy to watch it now, but at the time it was excellent. But yeah, yeah. this film also looks great. Um, all the production design. Camera's a bit odd. He's using that kind of weird fisheye lens thing he used in Unseen a little bit. You know, the way everything looked like sort of... Oh, is he? Right. It's not the, it's not an iPhone he's using like the way he did in Unseen, but it feels like yeah. it's a little bit... It's not quite full fish eye, but it, it still feels a little bit not panoramic enough or full screeny enough at times. Oh, like, you know, almost, it almost feels like you're looking at a curved screen for a lot of the film, um, oh. which... Why? It, <laughs> yeah, that's... that's I, I, it didn't need it. There was no purpose to it. Uh, and that's, that's that kind of threw me a little bit. So, um, in, in a film, it's fine. Um, two hours, it, it's it's watchable. It's Steven Soderbergh. It's, it's one of the ones you... It's a solid addition to his... Filmography, but I wouldn't say it's up there with his his best. It's probably more in the maybe the maybe good maybe the like sort of mm, better than the laundromat. Probably in with the haywire kind of level, you know. Yeah, that kind okay. of that kind of, that kind of thing. Worth a watch if if, if you're a Steven Soderbergh completist. Um, obviously it's, it's worth worth the watch. Um, so six out of ten for that one. Six and a half out of ten. Sorry, six and a half out of ten. So cool. slightly better than the previous one. Um, and final film of the week is Once in the Cinema, and that is called The Adams Family 2, which is a, a cartoon sequel to the recent cartoon of The Adams Family. Um, this one is directed by Conrad Vernon and Greg Keenan, who collectively directed The Adams Family, the first one, and also Shrek 2 and Sausage Party, um, which we've seen Sausage Party is pretty much insane. Um, hmm. And also That's Laura really Brooks. Laura Brasso, who it's her debut film. I think she was always, I think she's been like sort of the, they kind of, it's made by MGM, but I think they can, they're sort of doing the, the Pixar idea or like someone will be a storyboard artist for like four or five films, then they'll get brought on as a co-director type thing, then they'll eventually do their own film like later on. So she's sort of the third director on the on the film. It's her debut feature. Um, it's about Adam's Family. It's a sequel to the, the first one. Um, and this one, as all sequels need to do, they have to take them on the road. So they're taken away from the house and they're going on the road as... Uh, oh, what's the name of the main? It's Matasha and uh, Gomez. Yes, yeah. well Gomez sure. is trying to reconnect yes. with his daughter because um, she's like basically just she's, she's she's not feeling the father they love. And um, throw into that that maybe that, that Wednesday is not actually an Adams. She may be even switched at birth, um, and she has got an invention that allows her to switch the brains of creatures with humans. Um, and as an inventor man, trying to get that off of her. Um, 
all at the same time, they're travelling across the United States, seeing all that has to be seen while getting chased by some lawyers and also the, the mad scientist and all sort of hijinks unfold. Um, in the film, you've got a really good cast of people who probably should be in a live-action version of the film. Um, okay. You've got Oscar Isaac playing Gomez. Oh, which yeah. is pretty solid casting, but he's probably, Absolutely. He's probably, too, ha- <laughs> probably too handsome to play Gomez. Gomez Maybe. should be a little bit sort of more, not fugly, but you know, he's not, he's definitely punched bit, above his weight when he yeah, gets the yeah. yeah, a bit creepy as well. Bit yeah, creepy. he needs to, you yeah. know, so you've got Charlie Theron playing um, Morticia, which again is pretty solid casting for Morticia. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe yeah. Grace Moretz plays Wednesday, which I think if, if they did remake this film now, she would probably get the role. Um, yeah. Nick Crow plays Uncle Fester. Yeah, it's okay. not, it's not, yeah, he does that creepy kind of thing quite well, you know, so he's, he's got that. Yeah. Not Christopher yeah. Lloyd, but he'll do. He'll yeah. do. Um, Snoop Dogg plays Cousin It for reasons that I've not really described <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> um, That's my favorite sentence ever. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bette Midler plays the grandma and Bill Hader plays the, the dastardly evil genius. So, okay. I'll be honest, I fucking, I really dug the Adams Family, the remake, like this, the cartoon that was out about two years ago. I really, really enjoyed it. Like, it was properly funny. It was yeah. really subversive. It had a lot of jokes in it for adults as well. And I remember watching the cinema. It was like on a Tuesday morning. I was there by myself and one woman with her daughter who looked at me very weirdly throughout the whole film. Um, <laughs> but I was there in the cinema on a Tuesday morning. I fucking, I, I howled through a good chunk of it. I thought it was very well done. It, it like, it went under the radar. But it made me laugh. Yeah, and it made me think. I, I agree. Yeah. Who the fuck is this film for? Because like, yeah. I ask you, like, Hunter has how old Hunter is? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Does he have any clue who Adam's family are? No, but he. It's weird because it. It's they're one of those just enduring characters, aren't they? Because they were around when our parents were kids. Yeah, they've been around since nineteen fifty. So, master, did, did yeah. he have any idea if you if you went to like, when he was see the Adam's family? Would he go? What's that? He, he had no idea until we went to the cinema to watch the first one and he fucking loved it. And I loved it as well. Same as you. I thought it was so funny. And kids now, uh, it's probably just like YouTube generation and everything else. They, to me at least anyway, uh, they seem like they have a much, much more mature sense of like uh, comic yeah. sensibilities, like comic sensibilities. Maybe it's just, I'm not saying wanky, maybe it's just Hunter, but I don't think so. Like his mates and stuff. They really understand like the beats of comedy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know because of YouTube and stuff, maybe. Mm. And he he was like he was laughing so much at the first Adam Sandler film. But no, in terms of any context, he had no idea who they were. But it but, just seems to endure. But he knows who they are now. So that, that, that maybe explains yeah. it. Maybe like there is an audience for. I always think I was sitting watching going, who? I didn't know if kids would know who the Adam family was. I was saying when I was watching the Tom and Jerry movie. I'm going, do kids actually know who Tom and Jerry are these days? Like, have they completely moved on from Tom and Jerry? Or one of those things like parents will consistently just go. Watch a cartoon. There's Tom and Jerry. So like that's how. It, it, so it is sort of it does always still pass down through generations. Yeah, I, I think it's the latter. I think also <clears throat> if we're getting our very cynical um, artist theft, everything is content heads on, which is what we're, we're wearing tonight. Executives will be thinking, well, these characters are already fleshed out. They're already written. This is a very easy thing to do. You know, hundred <laughs> percent. It's also the idea of like. <laughs> that's why that's why things like the turtles keep getting rebooted. That's why Mighty Morphin Power Rangers keep getting rebooted because people you yeah. go, I loved that. <coughs> I loved that when I was a kid, so I'm going to take my kid to go and see it, and he'll love it as well. Yeah. You know, it's why exactly, why exactly. Like so it, it just, I just, I was sitting watching, going, who is this for? Because I didn't yeah, know yeah. who it was for. And the only thing is, it just it was really lackluster compared to the first. Oh one. no, really? Yeah. Oh, that's it, it just it, it totally lacked the, the same level of. You know, just sophistication, which is really odd to say about an Adams family cartoon, but <laughs> it didn't it really didn't have it. Um the voice cast was so amazingly underutilized in a in an animated film. Um there was no real spark to anything they did. And the, mm. the, and there's actually so many of them in it that no one really got a chance to shine. I have really I have odd. a question about yeah. uh, the voice cast. Sorry to interrupt your review, but um <sighs> Kids don't care about who does the voices. No, they don't. So why, do, what, so why do they spend so much money getting reputable actors to do these roles? I don't... That, to me, has always been something really interesting is why they do that. Because, like, for example, the, like, um, oh, my God, I've forgotten his name now. Like, 
Kevin Conroy. Right. He does Batman, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He does. Yeah. He does the best Batman. He, he is the greatest Batman, mm. like voice actor. And, and you would watch any Batman he does. Mm-hmm. You can pick him out a lineup. Hunter yeah. doesn't care that he's doing the voice, but he knows that's yeah. how Batman sounds, and that's fine. Yeah. That's all he needs. He doesn't need to know that it's some. He doesn't need it to be like, say, you know, I don't know, some random actor who sort of get any sort of name recognition. You know, it doesn't have yeah, to be yeah. something like that. Exactly. It's such a weird thing to me. I, 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 I just, don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. I, I, it's like, well, like yeah. even look at like Finding Nemo, for example. You know, the biggest. Yeah. You know, Albert Brooks. No one knows who Al. No, no, no kid knows who fucking Albert Brooks is. He's, but he's no. perfect casting for that role. No one, no kid knows who Ellen DeGeneres was, you know, but it's a perfect no. casting for that role. So yeah. why not, you know, I get why you cast Tom Hanks as, as Woody because he's got the perfect voice for Woody. That's oh, who it is. So. But it's also the reason why you have Wayne Knight in it as well because he's a yeah. perfect casting for for the collector. It's why you also have, um, or oh, who plays the, uh, Kelsey Grammer's in it. No kid knows who Frazier is, no. but the voice yeah. suits. Cast the yeah. right person, not the name recognition. But yeah. you could easily, Kelsey, the, 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 all those roles could easily be filled by any actor who just suited the role. It doesn't have to be name recognition. And no. that, that, that does seem more there for the adults rather than for the kids to almost would, that, would, you, would you Would you care about that though? No. Would that make no. a difference to you? No. no. It's, it's, it's befuddling. It feels like a needless expense. Again, just yeah. from put my exec head on, which, yeah. you know, like, why? That's, it's weird. Yeah, because, like, for example, the best animated film of the last, like, 20 years to me is still Spider-Man into Spider-Verse. And oh, yeah, there's no one in that film will go, that film is made by the voice of those characters. It's not made by the voice. It's made by everything, everything. But it's it's not... Yeah. I, I wasn't going to see it based on, oh, my God, I can't wait to hear X person do the Kingpin. No, you know? No. Yeah. It, it, it does seem a very odd thing to spend all that money on, on a voice. It's all, to me, it almost feels like if you don't have the, the conviction of this film good on its own merits... You push the voice cast more in order to try and get people. Because, like, well, if we can make sure we mention Zendaya's in this film fifty times, kids mm. love Zendaya. They'll go and see a film with Zendaya in it. You know, so yeah. it's maybe that idea. But I can't imagine any kid going, "Mom and Dad, I want to go and see a film. Why? Because Oscar Isaac is in it." You know, it's like it doesn't seem that that's <laughs> really drawing the kids. You know, no. you not know? at all. So not at all. It's weird because, it, like, so it would make sense if the name recognition was some YouTuber was in it or some Fortnite yeah. star was in yeah, it. That, yeah, would, that yeah. would make total yeah. sense, you know? Totally. Like, yeah, yeah. like you said, I mean, you were talking about it recently, yeah, recently, like about Space Jam 2. Like, I went, I went does Hunter even know about Space Jam 2? He goes, Yeah, you do. He does because he knows everything about um, LeBron James from Fortnite. So that makes yeah. sense why he would have been Space Jam 2. Um, yeah. But yeah, this had this had very little in it, unfortunately. It, I was questioning who blamed that. It was just, very formulaic and that whole on the road in the sequel thing it's been mm. done to death you know mm. if they do a third one they'll no doubt go to Europe that's yeah. that's that's <laughs> a natural progression you know first one set in convention we all we know it's set second one goes on the road third one they go to Europe yeah you know, so just I, I know like, like I was so surprised how much I enjoyed the first one like I really did enjoy the first one yeah. and generally yeah, laughed yeah. out loud at it quite a lot so oh, yeah I sat there and I was hoping to get something similar, and I just this was what I kind of feared the first one might be. Do you um? Why have they cast people? Do you think they think they got confused and they cast people thinking they were doing another remake of the well, live action? This is what I think because it feels like that's what it is to me. The cast people who think looks like Charlie Theron is a wonderful actress. She's a phenomenal actress. Mm. She's not a voice actress. No. And no. I, and the Marvel what if ish had this issue as well. I don't know if you've watched any of the What If Marvel series. No, Hunter, Hunter has. I haven't watched it. No. There's, they've, they've made a big deal of the fact they've cast 90% of the people who are in it, you know, so they get, you know, everyone back for it apart from a few key ones. But some of them you go, you're not a voice actor. Like Mark Ruffalo, for example, wonderful actor, does some great stuff. He's not an animation voice actor, you know. No, it's, a different, it's a different skill, isn't it? Totally different skill. Um, they get Scarlett Jansen's not back. I don't know how good she would be doing voice acting. They get someone else into that, and she's very, and she's very good at it. So it makes sense, you know. But I don't think that was the reason why. I think it was more of a money issue with that one, to be honest, rather than anything else. But the feeling you go like, you know, T'Challa is, you know, it's it's um, Chadwick Boseman's one of his last performances, and it's worth the his voice on on screen again. But he's not got an animated voice, you know. No, no. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. That is, it also make 
just spinning it around completely just makes you appreciate how fucking good Tom Hanks is. Like, yeah. Generally, yeah. everything. Like, yeah. How good is he as a voice actor? He's like the best voice actor as well. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 like, he's like annoyingly good at everything. Um, Jaws, I, I, what, what I did get from this was like when you watch the first, the Adam Family live action one, like the movie that Barry Sonnenfeld made, that could possibly be the greatest cast movie of all time like in terms oh. of like absolute perfection of every character embodying every single person they've got on screen mate like that i i don't know you, you saw me this is great content again for uh for a podcast but i was jotting a note and the note i i've written down is i think the 1991 version of adam summit is the best cast film ever i think that genuinely was the note I yeah mean. it probably i mean i can't think of you can't really think of any role in that film that's not utterly perfection of, of who's in it Christina Ricci alone, like, that's just, it's like she was born for it. Yeah, Christina. even like, you know, like the um, Gomez and Morticia, that's like, you could not pick a better Morticia. No. You know, no. and he, even like like Christopher Lloyd's Fester, like I think, I know you would remember that as Doc, but his Uncle Fester is like, is fantastic. Oh, yeah. You know, so it does show... It's not, Snoop, great, it's not, it's not Snoop Dogg, is it though, is it? Let's it's honest. not Snoop Dogg, it's Cousin It, that, that was certainly bizarre. Um, it's really weird because in it he, he speaks with cousins that's you know he's that thing at one yeah. point because they have to do it in a, in a sequel as a musical number they, they they have Snoop they have cousin that rapping but he's rapping as Snoop Dogg so he oh references himself in it, going, it just again it felt like it, it felt like ran out of ideas to be honest yeah. uh, for, for big chunks of the film um, so I will give it a very average 5 out of 10 it's it's mm. just it's just there it's just it just like it's, a bit generous as well yeah, again, it does feel very much like a content movie. And it's almost like one of the films where they have to make it now or they'll lose the rights to it. Right. Yes. You know, yes. It feels like that, you know, MGM's got this, but it knows it'll win the public domain if they don't make a film every five years with it. So, like, fuck, just put an animated film out. That, that retains the rights. We're all good now. I have another question. But as a, as a, a stereotypical just film watcher, a pundit, and, and you're, you've got far more expertise than myself, why do you need three directors for an animated film? I think it's what the volume of work. I think it's volume of work. I think right, that's all it is. Okay. I think it's just it's sheer volume of work. Because okay. you know, it's not a matter of just turning the camera on and you sort of you know shifting it around like you know some directors do. You're essentially overseeing every single aspect from character design to character look to voice work. You know, so maybe one act one of them is really good at the sort of you know, might work on the, the voice acting, you know, and stuff like that. One that might be more involved in the storyboard. So I think it's sheerly, I think I think most animated films these days have at least two on it and even yeah. even something like the the pixar stuff that has like sort of one figure at the front there's usually at least three or four co-directors like backing okay. them up who don't quite yeah. get the full directing credit but yeah it might, might be like union rules and stuff like that but i think it is just a sheer volume of work behind you know what they're doing because you've got to think, you know it's probably getting it's getting if, it, if they're the directors get animated probably by about you know 50 guys animating it so yeah. it's physically impossible for that to be going to view everything that's being done. So they have to have a bunch of guys to basically oversee it. It's a different role, isn't it, to directing a, a feature length? It's almost like um, you're a project manager as yeah. much as is creative. You and know, also, as well, yeah. also in a sense, like you, there's a point where you have to say, "This is what we're going to do." You can't just change it on the fly quite as easily because uh -huh. of. You know, just because of the logistics of it, you know, it's like they say, Simpsons line. Very few captains are done live. It's, it's a terrible strain on the animator's wrist. You know, you can't you can't just <laughs> yeah. change it. You can't just go, oh, the camera looked good over here. It's like no, motherfucker. We've spent the last three months animating it over here. You can't just only just flick the camera across. You know, so yeah. it obviously it's, it's a different talent and it's a different. It's a completely mm -hmm. different medium. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful medium um, when it's done right. Um, I mean, it does. I mean, it's done badly. Feel it, no film is meant to be done badly, but you feel like it feels a real waste of like a lot of people's time. Sometimes, you know, yeah. that's one even yeah. more so. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, so five out of ten for that one. Um, that is everything for this week. Next week we've got a very very fucking busy cinema week next week because. Everything for the last two weeks has run completely scared and terrified of uh, Bond. Bond. Um, the Bond juggernaut is still rolling on at, at pace, but other films are now attempting to dip their toes in the water of the mm. cinematic landscape. So we have out next week, and I'm going to try and at least see three out of the four of these. We've got The Last Jewel, the new Ridley Scott film. Looks really good, actually. I saw the, the, I know, I saw the trailer for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I'm totally sold on it. Adam mm. Driver does some good cape work. 
Matt Damon looks really badass with a scar. It's got Affleck in it as well. Affleck and Damon on screen. I think they even wrote the screenplay possibly together, which is I even more so. wonderful. Um, Jodie Comer looks pretty awesome yes. in it as well. So yeah, it, yeah, and Ridley Scott seems to be knocking out the park. So um, weirdly, one of two Ridley Scott films this year still to come, which is sort of strange. Wow, he's yeah. just. He's, he's eking out everything left, isn't he? You know, yeah. He's just going for it before he he's, dies. Yeah, he's like leaving nothing on the field as, as he walks off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so The Last Jewel Out, is, uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. We have the reboot sequel, or the sequel to the reboot of Halloween, which is called Halloween Kills, um, which after being fully underwhelmed by the Halloween reboot, I am not particularly... Not keen on it. I'm, I'm always, you know, every 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 film has a potential to be great. You might be surprised by it. Who knows? But yeah, this I'm I'm of the opinion I would have been quite happy if Halloween the original was left as not our franchise. You know, yeah. the, the the character one is pretty much perfect. Um, no. Also, if you if you want to keep credit in John Carpenter all these great ideas, maybe like John Carpenter do a film of his own now. You know, the man can still fucking work. Definitely. You know, stop. Is it Rob Zombie? No, it's not. It's actually the guys who did. Um, Spider-Man Homecoming. What? <laughs> um, I'll get the name just now. It's it's um, the guy from East Down and Down as well. Um, Danny McBride. <laughs> Danny McBride, I think, is producing it. Yes, he is. Sort of, he's heavily involved in it. Yeah. Um, what? <laughs> it's he he done the he done the, the, the last one as well. Rob Zombie's one is now being signed to as a mistake apparently. But yeah, you know, I actually I thought that was. It, it, oh, it was bad. But I I enjoyed its badness in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> like it is. Yes. It kind of knew what it was in being bad. Um, I'm just trying to check who exactly is directing this now. It's I'm sure it's a guy who directed um, or wrote Spider-Man into the not into Spider-Verse. The, the Homecoming. Homecoming. David Gordon Green is a gentleman's oh, name. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 actually got really got, he's, he's got a very steep major beef with Kevin Smith, which I remember reading about back in the day. Has he? Uh, yeah, he threw some shade at Clerks at one point. I remember, uh, like, this is back in like 94, 95. And I think him and Smith have never really seen, and every now and again, well, we kind of like it'll come up again at some point, just randomly, yeah. um, which I always find quite funny. He did, he did some interesting, he done uh, Joe, the Nicolas Cage film. Oh, yeah, yeah, Joe, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, and he's done stuff like, um, what's he done? I'm going to mix them up with different film. Uh, Prince Avalanche. I really enjoyed that one with Paul Rudd. Do you remember that one? Paul Rudd and Ethan Hawke. Oh, yeah. That was all, that was all right, actually. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Ethan Hawke. Yeah. yeah. Pineapple yeah, Express he did as well. Your Highness. Oh, yeah. The Sitter. Love, which wasn't oh, good. I love, I love Pineapple Express. I yeah. So I think he's really hitched his wagon to that um, to that um, cart, the um, sort of uh, like Diane McBride guys or, or the kind of guys you sort of pitch. Yeah, the kind of like... like like did not, Joe Dapato split, yeah. splinter group, yeah. Yes, he, he, I'm wrong. He did not direct them. Um, he did not write Spider Man. I, I apologize for that. I, I've, I've thrown shade at him for writing. It, it's still page. a leap, though, isn't it? Like this is still a very strange directorial leap. I'm as much as it, it was brilliant. I'm blaming um, Jordan Peele for this. <laughs> yeah. Jordan yeah. Peele seems to be the guy everyone's so, so Jordan Peele sort of went, I, I used to do comedy, now I'm going to do horror. Now, anyway, then comedy, he's going, I can do horror too. It's like, not everyone can fucking do it. You know, it's like, it is, it's, you know, it's a specific talent and skill that not everyone can do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's true. He, he is a singular talent, Jordan Peele. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so he, um, Danny McBride wrote it as well. So Danny McBride's credit as a writer on this as well. Again, what? I, think I'm that, I want to watch this. It sounds absolutely fascinating. No, because <laughs> they also done the first one, and the first one wasn't very good. So, and um, I, I said every every film could be great. So I'm going to go and see and, and be intrigued by it. Um, also, out next week is Venom: Let There Be Carnage, um, which I, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm being very negative about it. Venom might Venom Let There Be Carnage might be great. Um, also might be Venom Let There Be Carnage. So who knows? Um, we'll have to see what that one's going to be out. Um, it's doing massive business in America, so I mean, it's, it's the Tom Hardy appeal is strong. Tom Hardy, man, it's Tom Hardy, honestly. Hardy, Hardy, Hardy's got something, and also this week is June, um, the re well, the adaptation of Frank Herbert's book, which is well, I have my opinions on the book, um, <laughs> it, broke, it broke me as a man, um, 
Apparently, it's I'm very excited about this, though. I am very, very excited. About I am it. not excited in the sense it's a June film. I'm excited in the sense yeah. that it's a new film totally. from Danny Villeneuve. That's what I'm really exactly. interested by. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. I don't give but, a fuck about the June mythology. Yeah, really. I've got a feeling it could be very much like John Carter in the sense that there'll be a lot of shit in this that you recognize from Star Wars, and, re- and you, but it'll be obviously this came first and, and sort of obviously written in the 40s and 50s. So it might come across a bit weird, you know, because it feels like it's very Star Warsing, but not. Mm, maybe. Uh, yeah. Denny Villeneuve Denny bond me with Blade Runner 2049, so he can't bond me again. It's his only, um, and it was obviously a stunningly beautiful film, but it's his only, it's the only one I'm not interested in rewatching. I think everything else he's done is absolutely oh, fantastic. I'll watch so, everything he's done since, uh, or before, yeah. you know, I'll watch Prisoners over and over again. I'll watch um, Arrival, Arrival um, which is far too smart a film for me, but I'll watch anything he does. Um, but yeah, Blade Runner 2049 can go hang, to be honest, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it was yeah. dull as fuck, to be honest. <laughs> Just too, long. too long. Too <laughs> long. Just... And I've got a feeling I've got a feeling that June might be something similar in the sense that it'll be very beautiful to look at. It looks stunning in the trailer, but may not satisfy you. Because it's it's called June Part One with no promise about June Part Two. I know, I know. And that's I don't a... think there's gonna be there's gonna be no satisfactory ending, is there? It's, it's no. gonna be very yeah. It's like yeah. when you went and seen Lord of the Rings having not read Lord of the Rings and you get to end the fellowship and he goes, What the fuck? Sat here for three goddamn hours and there's no resolution to this fucking story. Like, if you're a fan of the book, you know what's coming, yeah, and you know how we get there. But if you've not read, you're going, to go, What the f- <laughs> barely even got halfway there, you know. So, anyway, um, June is also, I am very intrigued to see it. I think it looks stunning, it looks beautiful. Um, but again, it's, re- it's racking in like two and a bit hours. See me last year, what's well, like two hours and f- 40 minutes as well. So, the yeah, we're getting too old for films that long, aren't we? You've really got to do something special to, to justify me sitting there for three hours nearly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it takes a, it does take a lot. I'm only sitting miles watching a film, but yeah, to, to hold my attention. <laughs> and also, that means I can only want to see one film. I might go and see two or three films sometimes. And if you throw that bad boy in, it's, it's not really fucks my night up. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. I agree on all of that. But I'm, I'm intrigued. There's, there's a lot of stuff coming out, which is good. Yeah, which is exciting. That, that's the exciting thing. Cinema seems to be turning back to normal in some way. There's a lot of stuff coming out. Um, so that's that's nice. You know, it's good to see something that cinemas aren't still from what my general feelings when I went and seen films at, at peak times, it's not quite back to what it once was, but maybe slowly getting there. Um, I think Bond's been a big push, but I don't see people who are going to I don't see people who are going out just, just to see Bond are suddenly gonna stick around to go and see June. You know, that it's it's your dad's going to see Bond because it's the thing he loves. But that'll be the only film he'll go and see this year. He won't go and see anything else. No, that's 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 exactly right. Yeah, you know, it's turning up for the big. It's turning up for the big. You know, the glory for the big glory game, but not turning up when they play Ray Fovers. You know, it's that thing. You know, <laughs> you know, you know. That's 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 the issue. Um, I, I'd love I'd love some kind of algorithm to determine how many times Ray Fovers have been mentioned whenever you and I have podded. I reckon it must be at least five or six. We talk about Ray Fovers more than the Ray Fovers podcast. Does. It's, it's quite <laughs> disturbing how, how how much Ray Fovers features into our um, lingo. <laughs> <laughs> I, think have odd, I think we have an odd affection for um, <laughs> just based on it, just based on some random history. Um, but that's all for this week. Um, you can find us all in the normal places Three Bears in a Movie on Twitter, Instagram, and at Gmail. Um, for this week, I've been Richard, you've been Chew, and you've been listening to Three Beers in a Movie.